Hi, I'm Shane Keister, and you're listening to the Nashville Soul Music Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Nashville Soul Music Podcast. I'm Cowboy Keith, your host, and today I'm interviewing Shane Keister. Shane is not only a noted keyboardist and pianist, but he is also an incredible arranger, writer, producer, and an inductee to the Musicians Hall of Fame. Shane, it's nice to have you. Thanks, Cowboy. Good to be here. So, uh, just to get started, I always go right to the top of things. Where were you born? Born in Huntington, West Virginia. And did you uh, were you raised there? Did you did, were you raised up and went to high school and everything in Huntington, West Virginia? I lived in Huntington until I was about seven. Moved to Portsmouth, Ohio, just down the river, about forty miles. Lived there until I was seventeen. Moved very briefly to Northern Ohio and then back to Huntington. Graduated from Huntington High School. So you graduated from Huntington High School. Did you go to college right away? From there, or, or yes, uh, went to w- did one year at Marshall University, the conservatory there. Okay, now now I I know just because we know each other that you went you were at North Texas for a while. Yes, uh, I dropped out of school for eighteen months uh, or three semesters, and the reason I dropped out was I decided that I would become a rock and roll star in eighteen months or go back to college, <laughs> and I went back to college. <laughs> Oh, the lessons we learned. Yes. (laughs) All right, so now you're in Texas. Yes. All right, and you're going to uh, North Texas, which is a a prestigious music university uh, for jazz and composition and performance. Yeah. Now, did you graduate from North Texas? No, I dropped out at the end of my uh, sophomore year. Um, I had started doing studio work in North, uh, uh, living in Denton in North Texas, but uh, working in Dallas. And working in a nightclub five or six nights a week in a show band, you know, the usual thing. And one day I did a couple of sessions um, and realized that I was making more in one or two days in the studio than I was making in five or six nights a week in the club. So I decided to uh, pursue a career in studio recording, become a studio musician. Okay, so let's, let's finish up in Texas. So, okay. so um, you, you, uh, you, you finish up your school, you're going to leave. Now, were you ever part of the O'Clock bands in North Texas? Five o'clock band. In the five o'clock yeah. band. Now, what was the premier band? In, in, in the number of bands, there was a two o'clock band, wasn't there? Or? One o'clock band. That was that was the pinnacle band, and you really had to have your reading and playing chops quite together to hit that band. So the one o'clock band is the most prestigious Correct. of the North Texas jazz ensembles. Correct. Now, uh, let's talk about... Uh, when, when did the music bug hit you? Well, I, I played since I was uh, three and um, studied classical music most of my life. And when I was uh, in seventh grade, uh, I joined seventh grade marching band with the idea of getting into the jazz band that the band director had. But you had to be in the marching band to join the jazz band. And it was a full swing band, trumpets, trombones, saxes, percussion piano, bass, and drums. As I played and learned to read chord symbols and things, because at that point all I'd ever read was notated music, I became very interested in music, period. That turned into a small quartet that we called ourselves the Four Teens. We were, there were four of us, and we were all 14. <laughs> and we, we began playing professionally around the little town of Portsmouth, and I realized that I loved music. That's great. So now the music bug bit. You're in, you know you're a lifer. Yeah. All right. Now, what did your parents do? 
I have to also include my grandfather, my mother's father. He was a violinist, violist, and a music teacher, and he encouraged my ad-libs. He would bring a piece of music over that was written out for violin, solo, and piano accompaniment. We would read it, play it together, and then he'd encourage me to play whatever I wanted, and he would play the melody. And this was happening when I was like eight and nine years old, so he was encouraging me to you know, use my ears as well as my brain. My mom was a good pianist, and she wanted me to be a concert pianist. My dad was a country harmonica player, and he was just like, do whatever you want to do, whatever you feel. <laughs> so I had really good input, but a diversity of it. Now, what was the music playing in the house? What, what did mom have on in the kitchen when she was doing stuff? She loved Gershwin. Gershwin. A lot of Gershwin, uh, and a lot of classical music, especially Rachmaninoff and Debussy. Um, did she like any popular music at all? No, she, uh, what, the things like Andy Williams, you know, and uh, Tony Bennett, and of course Frank Sinatra and things like that. But when the Beatles came out, let's see, I can't remember what grade I was in, I think it was in seventh grade, I immediately locked onto them and brought her home a record and she kind of turned up her nose and said, oh my gosh, what's music come to? <laughs> It's, it's over now. Yeah, everybody's doomed. These Brits showed up and ruined everything. <laughs> All right, and uh, what did your dad listen to? Do you, like, do you listen to a lot of country? No, he. Uh, but he loved, um, what was the show? Flat and Scrug show. Okay. Loved that. And uh, I remember that's the first time I ever heard country music was on that show. And wow. It was fascinating to me. Especially the way they did it. Oh, yeah. There was some showbiz. They added dobro to the mix, which yeah. was unusual for yeah. that style of music. It was, uh, it was pretty cool. It's it a great show. Uh, yeah. uh, in my time at the Country Music Hall of Fame, they would play those on loop in the mm. Ford Theater often, and I'd just sneak in once in a while and sit and watch them for about a half hour. Oh, that's cool. You know, every once in a while, I'd say, oh, i get a little flat and strokes fix here. And the Porter Wagner show, didn't he have a television show? I seem he, to remember. He also did, as well as did the Wilburn Brothers. I mean, everybody had, it, it, it became popular in Nashville to make a syndicated country show that you could sell to other markets. Yeah, uh, Buck Owens had a show that was actually shot in Oklahoma with these two guys who owned uh, furniture stores, put up the money to do these shows. <laughs> and then they would syndicate them out. He watched those a lot. So, okay, your parents great influence on your music. You went to Texas. Now, where did you, did you work at Robin Hood in, in Texas? Was that part of your, you know, you doing jingles or studio master sessions? What was the, what was the genesis of the studio? When I was living in North Texas, or in Denton, going to school in North Texas, I was working for Tom Merriman and um, Pepper Tanner, Summit Sound had some work. I can't remember. There were three or four studios. But were you making master sessions or or jingles? What, both. Both. We'll yeah. Both. And uh, it was interesting because everything at Pepper Tanner, I remember, was notated. Um, every once in a while, there would be chord symbols, you know, with a part for ad lib, but most of it was notated. Uh, the records, of course, were totally, you write down your chart, and totally spontaneous, you know, you write down your chart and just figure out your part as you go, like, like we do today. All right, let's jump ahead. What took you to Memphis? I had I have to backtrack because when when I left high school, within a week of after going to, after after leaving high school, I took off with a bass player and a drummer, and we came to Nashville, Nashville. and and almost starved to death trying to play jazz. <laughs> <laughs> we literally had to, we literally had to take At money. At that time, that was not the that hot was, bed of jazz. No, no that was not. The, not no. And um, we had to siphon gas to get home. Wow. I'll, I'll leave the details out. So I didn't want to go back to Nashville. So I thought, well, Memphis, I had been to Memphis very briefly with a rock and roll band just before I went back to college, and we made a record, Southwest FOB. And I liked Memphis, and I knew Jim Stewart uh, there. Uh, he was running Stacks at the time. So I thought, well, I almost starved to death in Nashville. Let's try Memphis. So I moved to Memphis. 
Now, what was your first job in Memphis? <laughs> Cooking pizza. Cooking pizza. I went to Shakey's Pizza Parlor. Uh, it was about three blocks walk from the apartment that I rented. Um, right after we moved in, I walked over there, and there's a guy playing stride piano, and he was not doing a very good job, just real sloppy, about half drunk. And I thought, oh, I got this, I got this gig. So I walked up to the manager, and I said, hey, you need a piano player? He looks at me, he says, yeah, this guy gets drunk every night, brings his wife and kids in, I got to feed them. You know, he starts telling me this guy's, and I think, oh, I can't take this guy's job. He's got a family. So he looks at me and says, do you play piano? And I, I lied and said, no, but do you need a cook? And he said, yeah, I can use a cook. <laughs> so you wind up cooking pizza. Cook pizza for about, not quite a month, maybe three and a half weeks or so. Awesome. We mentioned Jim Stewart. Yeah. And Stacks. Now, you played uh, on many Stacks sessions. How did you get into Stacks? How, what was your toe in the water to Stacks? Well, that's, that's a really interesting part of the story. After I stopped cooking pizza, I had found a rock and roll band right across the street in a club and I sat in with them a couple of times and they had an organ so I immediately got a job again in a club working and the club also had a cocktail hour it was pretty nice kind of a swanky supper club and so I got a job there in the afternoons from I think it was like five to seven playing cocktail piano music for people and one day I'm playing and uh, it, I hadn't worked there for more than a couple of weeks I suppose and I looked down and here's Jim with a client having a drink and talking, I suppose, business. I recognized him, so I waited till the client left, and I walked over and introduced myself, and he remembered me from the year before when I'd been there, uh, been there with the group, like I said, and he said, um, hey, uh, would you like to come to the studio again? I said, oh, yeah, and he said, well, he said, tomorrow we're doing a session on the emotions. He said, I'm not hiring you because we've already got a pianist, but he said, if you'd like to be my guest and watch the session, I said, oh, I'd love to, so I went to the studio the next morning, and out on the floor is Al Jackson, Duck Dunn, Steve Cropper, Bobby Manuels, Barquet's Horns, the whole Stax rhythm section, and no piano player. Marvell Thomas was, uh, I found out later, I think he got in an auto accident, and this was like 1970 in Memphis, so he was detained for a long time. Oh, no. So about 10.30, we'd sit there to, we sat there till about 10.30, and Jim looked at me and said, do you read music? And I said, yeah. He said, well, can you teach the band the song? I said, sure. So I... I taught the band the changes and somebody said hey let's cut this it sounds great and that's the way my career began at sax wow was that your first big break you think yes yeah that's, that's what put everything in motion yes and then later uh, were, were you in memphis when uh, now eventually you got a call to play piano for elvis at some point were you still in Memphis when that call came, or had you already moved on? I'd already moved to Nashville. That was in 1976. Did you have gas to get there? <laughs> At that time, I did. Oh, good. That's good. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I, um, well, I, I, I was working for Stax. The way I got to Nashville, back to Nashville, I should say, was I was working for Stax, and Chips Moman with the American Rhythm Section asked me to join his rhythm section. Bobby Wood and Tommy Cogwell came to Nashville to do independent work. So I joined that rhythm section. And that lasted about a year, maybe, not much more or less. And we all ended up in Nashville together. Okay, so that's what brought you to Nashville. Yes. So where did you get the call for Elvis? Uh, Felton, Jar actually David Briggs called me uh, at Felton Jarvis's request. I had worked on a couple of Elvis's records. Chip Young and, and uh, Felton Jarvis were producing. And um, uh, Glenn D. and Ronnie had left and given notice uh, they couldn't do the next tour. 
So Felton said, get Shane Keister if you can. He played on the last record. Get Larry London. Uh, so David called both of us. Not and, a bad duo there. Yeah. It was really <laughs> exciting. It was amazing. And then how did you play did you play live with him for how long? Just one tour. Just one tour. So yeah. maybe a couple months? Or? Uh, not even that long. I think we were out about three weeks. And um, I couldn't do the next tour. I had a camping um and hunting trip schedule with my dad, who was getting old at the time, and he, he said, can you do the next tour? And I told him why. He just said, man, that's cool. He said, I understand. Could you be my first sub? And I said, are you kidding? So, uh, that's I, great, man. That's cool. Did you get to meet the king himself? Oh, yeah. We fl- right. flew on the plane, and, uh, um, yeah, he was really nice. He was really a personal personal person, you know. Did you find the performances exciting? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he he gave it a hundred. He would walk off that stage ringing wet. You wow. know, he's a very motivating person to work with. Well, that's great, man. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm very blessed. Thing. Now, when did you uh, get the call to work with Ahmed Erdogan? I was booked originally as a studio musician. Um, I can't remember the arranger's name. Dave Matthews. Uh, Ahmed had Dave Matthews working as an arranger on this project uh, for Downs and Price. I remember them uh, in Nashville because they lived in Nashville. So I was a hired gun, just a regular studio guy playing piano and keys on the date. We did uh, about half the record, and I think two months later they came back, and Dave couldn't do the, the arranging on the project. So uh, they, Ahmet called me and said, uh, I understand that you're a good arranger, and would you consider arranging? I said, certainly, I'd love to. So I, did, I finished that project, um, and then he offered me another project in New York. He said, could you fly up in a couple of months and do whatever? I can't remember what it was. And I did. Uh, and another project after that, it seems like it was there were two or three, and then he asked me to co-produce a project with him. Of course, I was quite flattered, and I said, certainly, and then he offered me a full-time position. And uh, and you became very close with Ahmed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, I remember if, if, if you indulge me and tell the story about crawling under the house. Oh. <laughs> Ahmed ha- uh, has a fabulous house, or had a fabulous house, uh, out in um, uh, Southampton, and... Um, Went out there, and it was I think it was January or February. It was a cold part of the year. We drove out, and um, we got out there, and uh, his his folks, his servants and folks that helped him were all walking around the yard and walking around the house when we got there, and we went inside, and the water was cut off. And um, so uh, somebody said, the water is frozen. The water pipes are frozen because the temperature dropped, so we don't have any water. Mr. Erdogan, what are we going to do? Well, they called a plumber, but the plumber couldn't get there for 30 or 40 minutes and meanwhile there's water accumulating where the pipes had burst so I took a flashlight and and uh, opened the, the basement door and it's like this is a huge house I don't know how many square feet but it, it's a labyrinth under there and it's very dark I basically got lost under the house I did find the cutoff valve for the water but I, I was lost under there for probably 10 minutes trying to find my way out from his house <laughs> Just two more questions, Shane. Uh, question number one, what is your, b- besides your inaugural session, uh, thanks to the, the the Memphis Police Department, yeah, you got your, your first big break at Memphis. Now, what what was the most memorable session you did at Stax? Let's see. I don't, I don't remember the artist, but I remember it was uh, a 12-8. chick and instead of the uh, guitar arpeggiating, they wanted the keyboard. We wanted me to play that on piano, on arpeggio, which is, you know, pretty simple to play. Uh, and I was playing it accurately, but I wasn't playing the feel that that Al, especially Jackson, wanted. You know, he's doing hi-hat, do, 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 and he keeps looking at me from his, he was over on my left, and he keeps looking at me like, you're almost there, come on, you're almost there. And finally he says, Shane, he put his sticks down. 
He walked over, and he was a huge man. He said, Shane, you're playing all the right notes, but you're not playing the right. Feel this. He put his hands on the piano. He said, put your hands on top of mine. And my hands barely, I mean, my hand was tiny on his top of his hand, but he starts playing this arpeggio in a different key, but I could feel the time. And I said, oh, yeah. He said, you're playing it like a white boy. Play it like this. And I said, oh, yeah, I get it. That's great. I still remember that very clearly. That is a magic moment. All right. Uh, what is your favorite soul or R&B or jazz record that you always go back and listen to when you have, you know, I'm going to sit down and listen to this. Oh, gosh. I think of all of them, probably Dock of the Bay. It's Really? Yeah. Uh, I, I, lo- I love that record. It's just so raw and so emotional. I obviously didn't play on it, but, <laughs> but uh, okay. it's such a wonderful record. Well, Shane, it's been very nice having you here on the podcast. Thank you, Cowboy. It's been my pleasure. It's a pleasure to know you. Mine. Thank you, man. And uh, you've been listening to the Nashville Soul Music Podcast. My guest has been Shane Keister. Hi, I'm Shane Keister, and you've been listening to the Nashville Soul Music Podcast. And the Nashville Soul Music Podcast is available at nashvillesoulmusic.com and on iTunes.